Hello and welcome to another episode of the Manchester is Red podcast from the Manchester Evening News. They say the definition of madness is doing the same thing again and again and expecting a different result. Well, maybe that was a little bit mad for Manchester United on Sunday afternoon when they lost 2-1 to Brighton in the first day of the, the shining new era under Eric Ten Hag. Uh, we'll, of course, pick the bones apart of that defeat and talk about transfers as well. I'm Dominic Booth and I'm delighted to be joined by two men who were present at Old Trafford on Sunday and Samuel Luckhurst and Rich Fay. Hello, chaps. Hello, Dom. Nice to have you back on. Hey, hello. Yeah, it's yeah, nice so to be back, isn't it? Feels like that's something never happened now. It's great to be back, yeah. So thanks for having me back on so early in the season after uh, after that game. But uh, let, let's let's talk about it seriously then, Samuel. It was um, one of those where you're probably expecting a, a lot of change and two debutants in the in the starting lineup for United in Lisandro Martinez and Christian Eriksen, but Really, it was a team that had very much the same look as as last season and the season before, even. And the result was was not that much different either. And the performance, um, you know, not not stunning at all. What did you make of? What did you make of it? Were there any positives for United to take out of it, or is it all doom and gloom like Twitter is is now suggesting? Oh, it's it's doom and gloom. But th- there were some positives that could be extracted from some of the things that happened in the second half, I suppose, but nothing to, to write home about in that sense. When Rich and I looked at the team sheet, we looked at the Brighton team and we both agreed that United really should be beating that team. And that, that was us not, not consciously underestimating Brighton. It, it really didn't look as, and this is how far United have fallen. We talk about Brighton as being an imposing side for United to come up against, but it didn't look as imposing as the team that they came up against in May. They lost Kukurella and Bissouma, possibly their two best players, who they've sold for something like 80-odd million pounds this summer. But we did underestimate Brighton because they have a structure, they have a setup, they have players who know their cues, they're players who Ten Hag said afterwards have been together for a long time. They've got one of the best coaches in the Premier League who, the way he's going, should could possibly be the next England manager. I think he he should be at the top of Bookie's chalkboards for that. And they play as a team. United just do not play as a team still. Um, we gleaned all the positivity from pre-season. We observed good things, uh, the intentions that, that Ten Hag had in, in training with the drills, what he what he was trying to get them doing were absolutely the right things. The, the approach was progressive. There, there were progressive strides made in the pre-season games. Yet as the games have become more and more competitive and that Atletico Madrid friendly was played in a very competitive nature, they've been found wanting. It, it said it all yesterday that the only goal they scored was, was an own goal that was really avoidable um, had there been a bit of uh, communication back there between uh, Robert Sanchez and McAllister, I think it was, who who put it through his own net in the end. But I suppose the tone was set just with that Dallow error in the first seconds of the match, which gave Brighton a sighter. Um, United have become the club where anything that can go wrong will go wrong. And Caicedo bossed that midfield at the Amex Stadium in May. He bossed them again. The, the midfield malaise was at United was captioned a microcosm when McTominay needed six touches outside the area, overran the ball, nearly broke Caicedo's ankle and got booked. Ten Hag tried to 
tweak that rather derided axis of Fred and McTominay by making Fred the outright six and McTominay the eight. In the end, they were just at sixes and sevens. That those that partnership has a ceiling. McTominay has a ceiling. I felt a bit sorry for Fred in that he was the one who was sacrificed early in the second half. McTominay just should not have been starting that game. The Ericsson experiment, I think initially we thought it would be Fernandez who would be playing in this in that strikerless formation, which was not a success last season when he played there against Leicester. But it really did boggle the mind that he went with Ericsson, who is a multifunctional player who can play well as a playmaker. He can play well deep. He can play well from the wing. I can't ever recall him playing as a striker for Tottenham. I think when Tottenham did have Kane injured for certain games, it, it, during those, you know, when they're at their in their pomp under Pochettino, it would be Son who played as a striker. It was never Ericsson. I think Son played as a striker once at Old Trafford when Ericsson was starting. And and Ten Hag said afterwards, well, Ericsson played there at Ajax. And there are times when United say or do things where you just, as an objective observer, your head just sinks into your hands and you're thinking, you're going on about Ajax again. Like the, this Ajax affiliation, just leave it, just stop it. Uh, there's no need for it. it. It's not working. It didn't work yesterday. The, they planned in pre-season with a number nine in Martial. They did have options to play a striker there yesterday. I, I don't buy this whole, you know, I mean, Rich said it himself. Ericsson and Ronaldo had identical pre-seasons in that they got to Carrington at pretty much the same time. Ericsson played maybe a few more minutes, maybe, I don't know, 30 more minutes in across the two friendlies uh, against Atletico and Vallecano. Yeah, Ericsson was deemed you know, worthy of a start in and, and out of position, yet Ronaldo was, was benched. Uh, Ericsson should have started that game deep. They should have had presence up top, whether it was Rashford through the middle, which he didn't want to do because Rashford did quite well in pre-season from the left. I completely understood that. But everyone just thought, well, it's got to be Ronaldo or Ilanga. And Ilanga's an imperfect choice. And yeah, there, there's the odd con with Ronaldo. But either of those alternatives was preferable to playing Ericsson there. And then the man of the match, I think it was, uh, was was Danny Welbeck, who was a, a former United striker providing presence up top for Brighton, who never really looked like scoring, but he put in a hell of a shift and he caused to have a lot of issues back there. So, as I said, I mean, in terms of picking bones out of the carcass of yesterday, you, we could be talking here until midnight, um, just lamenting the various issues that, that went on during that that defeat yesterday. And like the, the previous Dutch manner, the, the morale from pre-season, where they had a good pre-season, it's been shattered with a 2-1 defeat in their first game of the season. Yeah, Rich, we were talking off air just before we started about how pre-season can always be a bit of a false dawn. And there were a lot of excited United fans, especially on social media after the 4-0 win over Liverpool. Uh, some of the goals, I think, against Crystal Palace were, were very impressive, it has to be said. And and there were good signs throughout pre-season, really, despite a bit of a mixture of results towards the end. But this was the real start, wasn't it? You know, you can you can do whatever you like in pre-season. It doesn't matter a jot, really, does it? And Teams can have woeful pre-seasons and go on to win the league and, and vice versa in terms of their results when the competitive stuff matters. And United failed the, the task when it really mattered. Yeah, and the warning signs were there from those last pre-season games because the Atletico game 
wasn't the most sensible match to have as a springboard for the season for for your starters. But United were schooled in that. They were against the team in Europe who do things in a certain way and are really difficult to play against. And United came unstuck. They didn't really offer too much at all. Obviously, there were a few missed chances, as there always are in these sort of games. But the Brighton game wasn't even a surprise, really, was it? I mean, I am always going to be a bit sceptical about going too harsh on a team on the opening day of the season because there's a lot of mitigation to it. It's still you know, players learning their trade at a new club and still a new manager and a new style and it's a, a competitive game which they've just not really had all summer and you know like we saw you know as last few opening day games we've seen them you know destroy Chelsea and Leeds but you couldn't really get too carried away after either of those wins because you felt well something negative is going to happen soon after I know there was dreams of maybe a title challenge last season because that opening day win was so spectacular but United were always going to drop points against teams like Brighton this season, no matter what happened. Obviously, you don't want to be doing it at the first hurdle, but it is that I'm going to at least give them maybe a tiny benefit of the doubt that, you know, go on and prove us wrong in the next couple of games. I don't think they will, but I'm going to say, you know, you can do that. But I think what is so annoying and so disappointing, which you can really be, you know, angered about, is just these same mistakes and just the same obvious errors that are always happening. De Gea still looks like he could be a problem this season. He was poor on the, on. I think it was the second goal um, when he scrambled across the box. You've got fullbacks who still look questionable. A centre-back pairing that needs to be stuck with and you need to give them time, but they're still very gettable. The midfield again, I talk about playing with two false nines, you're playing with two false centre. <laughs> they offered absolutely nothing whatsoever. And again, that was no surprise. There was just no surprise to it whatsoever. Rashford was his typical self, just looks so low on confidence. This is meant to be resurgent Rashford. What more can United do for him? I mean, he's wasted two great chances in that game. Sancho, one of the worst players on the pitch again. He's okay from deep. and if You you, you were quite positive ball, about him in the second half, Rich, I, as well. Yeah, <laughs> I, he's doing those passes that he does, you know, where he, stopped, he sort of controls the tempo of the play and he, he curls the ball around the defenders. But in terms of what he was offering as a forward, which is what he's been brought to the side to do, there was nothing. There was absolutely nothing. And yeah, Fernandez. When do we keep talking about him? He's since he signed his contract. What has he done? He has been one of the worst players, you know, in this United side, time and time again. There was that chance at the first half where he absolutely canned it over the crossbar. You know, it would have been one of those NFL sort of conversion kicks. Like, what was he doing? He and he, he didn't seem to get the backlash that he still he still seems to be in a huge amount of credit with lots of United fans, but. There has to be some serious questions asked about Bruno Fernandes' role, and particularly now that Ericsson's there, because Bruno Fernandes plays these, you know, doesn't play the percentages. He takes the risks, and that's the whole sort of ethos of his game. But it means that if you're relying on someone who does moments of magic or takes these gambles, you can never sort of plan for for what's going to guarantee to happen in a game. Ericsson, you know, does play things a bit safer, a bit more rational. And, you know, he, he takes his time when he's got the ball. But Fernandez is just so erratic. And when he's still the beating heartbeat of this United side, it means that everyone else is erratic too because they're all using him as a sort of metronome. And he's so out of tune at the moment that United just look so lost and muddled up front. And, yeah, the kind of beauty of that forward line is that when it's at its best, you've got perpetual movement. The defence are being dragged all over the place. But when it's not right, it's just muddled and there's so much movement. Players don't know where they're meant to be. You can't pick up passes. And yeah, it was just, there was so much negativity about that game. And the bubble has burst already for Ten Hag and he's got an uphill challenge on his hands, it feels like. And 
new signings might be able to do that, but it might make things a whole lot worse seeing the names he's been linked with this week. Well, yeah, we'll we'll get on to those names uh, later on in the, in the podcast for sure. Uh, I just wanted to speak about some of the individuals that Rich mentioned there, Samuel. I mean, it's no doubt that Ten Hag has his hands tied behind his back a little bit with with some of those individuals and with their their own form, they have to take responsibility for you know, Rashford, Fernandez, and Shaw, I think, there's mm-hmm. three of them who yeah. haven't been in good form for probably 18 months since maybe the COVID season. Uh, and Ten Hag, you know, Ten Hag can do everything he wants with systems. He can sign players that he's he's targeted for a long time. And that seems to be the policy with transfers that they're just getting people that Ten Hag wants. But what about these, these individuals at United? They've got to, you know, it's almost they've got to perform now or they need dropping or selling or, or, or something like that to, to really shake the squad up in the way that it needs to be. Well, if we go from, from back to front, with the goalkeeping situation, you can see them starting with a new goalkeeper next season and that they, they might have to sign, sign a new one for the long term because De Gea has entered the last two years maximum of his of his contract they'll, they'll trigger that plus one to time to the club until 2024 but the first goal yesterday looking at the replay of it if he goes with his hands he probably blocks the ball at the very least and is there to to gather it but he's not brave enough and in, in fairness he that's that's also the way he operates i remember when united went out to the champions league at the group stage to ball all the way back in 2011, the first goal that was conceded that night comes from a cross where De Gea makes a mistake of going with his his legs to try and block it. He doesn't get enough purchase on it and and the ball's put away. He did that yesterday, but that's that's him. And at the age he's at now, I think he's, what, 31, 32, there's a lot... He's, he's going to have to adapt a hell of a lot for Ten Hag while he's at United to say he's absolutely my, my number one. The, the second goal, I mean, you know, it's he, he's trying to push it away and he does push it away and there's an element of misfortune that it goes straight to gross. But again, another goalkeeper might have been a bit a bit cannier in terms of how much purchase they got on the ball to ensure that it went completely out of harm's way. So the goalkeeping situation, they are... I know Dean Henderson's pretty much... The bridge he had with Manchester United is is burning after what he said last week. But they're still keeping their options open there because they didn't give Forrest the option to, um, you know, the option to sign Henderson permanently. As far as the fullback positions go, I'd have said that a right back was needed more than a left back in the summer, and they signed uh, a, a, a backup left back in in Malaysia. And really, he was unfortunate not to start because Shaw was borderline disgraceful. Uh, one point in the second half. Welbeck, being Welbeck, was sprinting after the ball and Shaw was jogging. And the fans were having to tell Shaw, you know, you've got to sprint because you've got someone breathing down your neck. Stop jogging. Um, he was lucky to his last as long as he did. He, he's gone backwards so, so far from the 2021 season when I thought he was United's best player that campaign. But as you said, there were no supporters there. It, it was It was misleading. It was false. Maybe he's a better player when fans aren't present, and that's that's a poor reflection on him. And I think that's the case with a lot of other United players. Uh, Dallow had a very good preseason, but his confidence—he—he—he uh, he, just—he looked like he was not not found out, but he just regressed yesterday. 
Um, with the centre-back pairing, I thought Maguire did all right. I didn't think Maguire's performance was particularly offensive at all. Martinez started well, but as soon as Brighton went 1-0 up, went one nil up, he was just careless. He was sloppy. He got booked. He was extremely lucky not to give away a penalty. The, the midfield, we've spoken about ad nauseum. Um, McTominay is not, is not a starting United midfielder. I think Fred has merit if he's supported by the right players. They don't have the right players there, so he's exposed. And he's now playing in a role that is the opposite to the role he plays for Brazil. Rich has rightly said that Fernandez has been cut a lot of slack by the section of the fan base. I can't quite understand it. He's he's been even worse since he got a an unnecessary and an undeserved new contract in April. Sancho and Rashford have have potential, but how how long much longer can we start talking about potential with Marcus Rashford? In fact, I I regret saying it even there. He's turning twenty five in in October. Mm. You can't be talking about a 25 year, a 24 year old nearly 25 year old showing potential they've got to turn up um they've got to be depend uh, you know dependable forwards and neither of them are Ericsson, i thought played quite well when he dropped deep and that's the role he should have started in the game ultimately as yeah I, it was a strange one to write about in some ways because it was very easy to home in on the the ownership and how little they care and they they don't care they they're not ambitious they are the biggest problem at the club and they've been the biggest problem at the club for a very long time but ten Hag made some very very uh basic errors in that game in, in starting ericsson where he starts him he wasn't proactive with the substitutions either uh he was initially with the timing of ronaldo coming on early in the second half although he should have just done that half time but elanga malasia and, and garnacho coming on simultaneously just before the 90th minute just was senseless it should have been about 10 or 15 minutes earlier so however way you look at it although they showed a bit of fight in the second half after they scored and they did create some chances with Martinez having a shot block Diallo sorry Dallo had a shot saved as well um and, and they would they, they looked a bit likelier of of getting an equalizer than they might have done last season it was just still it was an extension of the of the chapter last season when they really needed to turn a new leaf Yeah, absolutely. Um, Samuel mentioned the midfield situation there, Rich, and just like that with the timing of uh, these transfer stories, interest in Juventus midfielder Adrian Rabio suddenly crops up on the radar. Not one really that we've we've spoken about or thought about this summer for United. Obviously, the Frankie De Jong situation rumbles on, but the, the news with Rabio seems to be that it's rumbling on quite quickly and. There could be a, a deal there with 15, 20 million pounds or euros being the uh, the rough fee. Is this panic buying? Is this frustration at the, the De Jong situation? Is this a player that Ten Hag has prioritised? That all seems quite doubtful to me. Well, what is it now? Is it 89, 90 days since they started the De Jong chase? So like if Rabiot's... If Rabio's just cropped up now, then yeah, that is a panic buy, isn't it? In my in my eyes, I mean, Rabio's one of those players that when I sort of did the daily blog and stuff, you always see these these news now stories of United linked with 
these players who are in the end, last year of their contract and you roll an eyelid because you think, oh, they're always linked to someone like Rabio and it, it'll either get a new contract at Juve or he'll end up somewhere at Galatasaray or something. You'll be like, oh, that's why United were linked to him to try and get some other buyers involved. But yeah, this one seems uh, like it is an actual alternative. And that's the problem for United really is there hasn't been any sort of viable alternative to Frankie de Jong, which, you know, that's obvious because de Jong is an exceptional an exceptional player of a world-class ceiling. So there's always going to be a drop-off. I don't think there is a like-for-like alternative out there. Otherwise, you know, you'd like to think we'd have already gone for them and said, you know what, we, we can't be bothered with this Barcelona pursuit any longer. Rabiot, in terms of fallback option, I mean, I do get the, the questions from the fan base saying he's not the type of player they need. I totally get that. But he's an improvement on McTominay for me in that role. And I think he'd be taking that role as, as the ex-midfielder alongside Fred. So I think there's a small improvement, but again, not a long-term one, which is a, a problem in itself. But if United can get any sort of marginal improvement and, and better players in the squad, I do think that you've got to explore it at least. It could also just be trying to you know, put the ball in Barcelona's court and say, well, you know, United are going to go away now. You, you might lose one suitor for De Jong and it might only be Chelsea you can try flaunting to them who seeing their scattergun approach as well. You know, it, it says a lot that the two teams in for Frank and De Jong are two of the most manic ones in the summer transfer window anyway. Do, you know, the Rabio deal, I think, is a good one to have him back up just in case he needs to use it. If the De Jong deal can't come off, then I, I don't think it's maybe as alarming as as you first think because, you know, he is a decent player and he he's an improvement on, on what they've already got in that specific position. The question is, who wants him? Does Ten Hag want him? Because he seems to go against everything Ten Hag said last week, that he only wants to move for the right players. And he'd rather not sign anyone than sign someone who's not the right fit. And Rabiot's sort of baggage, as it were, is that what you want in this United dressing room? One that's already quite chaotic, quite you know, split. And you obviously, obviously trying to build this new work ethic under the new manager. And then you've got to look at the timing of it. Rabiot's been... You could have got him three months ago. You could have had this in the bag. You could have given him a proper pre-season. You could have had him integrated by now. He could have played against Brighton. But it does seem like supermarket sweep now. Just United trying to get whoever they can to try and appease the fans and try to bolster the squad. But, you know, again, Ten Hag comes out in a press conference saying he's he, can't, he is happy with the squad he's got. He clearly isn't. He clearly isn't. Otherwise, he wouldn't be in for Arnautovic and Rabiot. That is desperation. And if you want to be an elite team, you do not shop for those sort of players. And again, it's already setting United's you know, expectations so low for the season ahead because both of those players, you, you don't expect them to do anything really of note. Yeah, they'll come in, maybe Rabiot would get 25, 30 games, Arnautovic 20 games, most of them from the bench. But that is not a team that will threaten anyone in the Premier League. You look, I mean, again, it's just a lazy comparison, but City have signed Haaland, Liverpool signed Nunes, two players United failed miserably at trying to recruit. And now they're going for Marco Arnautovic, who has already sort of been likened, or he could be like the news last on Ibrahimovic. Uh, he's not. Bottom well, line, he's, he's not the news last I think it's principally because he's, he's got tattoos and his name ends in itch, I think, is the, is, the peop- is the reason why people are saying that, which is absolutely ludicrous. But the, the two links there, Samuel, that we talk about, the two players, or they're not more than links, they're two players than links, yeah. are, in, are actually interested in. Yeah. I, I wish they were just links. Um, but they, the timing of them is is pretty pretty ridiculous from a United fans perspective they lose a game 2-1 to Brighton and suddenly they're interested in two ostensible ostensible panic buys now where was the where's the trust the process where's the a long-term project and the Ten Hag 
why are the club pursuing these kind of players, like Rich said, when they're supposed to have this philosophy in place and they're supposed to be going along the lines of, of what Ten Hag wants? It, it makes absolutely no sense to me. Amazingly, Ten Hag wants or thinks that Arnautovic would bring some merit to United. At that point, a football director or someone, uh, you know, even call, you know, call someone in just to say, no, enough, stop doing this, stop signing Dutch players or players who players have played in Holland or players who are familiar to you. Arnautovic played under Ten Hag and Steve McLaren at 20. And he left 20 in 2010. Anthony Alanga was eight years old then. That's how long ago it is. That's how moot the whole argument of Arnautovic being familiar to Ten Hag and McLaren is. It's it's absolutely, it's a pointless thing to bring up. The Ibrahimovic comparison, United are just dusting off an old script there. When they signed Cavani two years ago, you can guess who he was likened to and whose impact they hoped. Um, he would be similar to it was Ibrahimovic. From memory, Arnautovic doesn't doesn't play anything like Ibrahimovic. He was, I mean, when he was at Stoke and West Ham, he'd score a brilliant goal every four or five months if you were lucky. And there was no work ethic, and you can see why Mark Hughes wanted rid of him. He left West Ham quite acrimoniously, I believe, um, from from memory as well, because he was agitating to go to China. That is not a driven footballer. And there are also the troubling allegations, uh, historical allegations about him. Um, an, an incident when he was at 20, people might have seen the video circulating um, on, on, online today. And there was also the, the incident with Alioski, um, the, the North, North Macedonia player uh, during the European Championship last year, I believe, where Arnautovic said something and David Alaba, his Austria teammate, literally had to clamp his mouth shut. Um, I don't think beyond those reasons, I just thought yesterday on what was such a demoralizing day for United, the lowest ebb of the day didn't occur in the stadium. It occurred when they offered 8 million euros to Bologna for, for Arnautovic for just so for a myriad of reasons. I just think it couldn't have got any worse than the Odi Nagalo panic buy on deadline day, which was somewhat understandable. They, they got the wrong striker in, but Rashford had a long-term injury. It was January. They needed a dog's body in. They, they got someone who was known to Solskjaer via Jim Solbakken, via Atta Anike, the other agent who Solbakken knew. Um, the kind of deal that Solskjaer might have done at Cardiff and, and a front to United, but actually Carlo was, was all right up until lockdown. He, he served a purpose. But... That was two and a half years ago, and that was supposed to be the exception to the norm. Then the exception to the norm happened again with Cavani, albeit at a more elite level, and Cavani certainly had a good first season. And now here we are going from United going for Marco and Altovic, another 30-something who has spent two of the last three years in China. It's just an absolute insult to the supporters and the, the blame has to be shared across the board as in the literal board of the, the Glazer family of Richard Arnold, uh, of John Murta allowing uh, as the football director, allowing a bid to be submitted to Bologna and also to Ten Hag for having the temerity to suggest that um, United go for Marco Arnautovic uh, in, in certain coaching circles already, 
there is genuine bafflement at the way United are going about their signings. Um, and somebody needs to tell Ten Hag, who had a propensity for signing Premier League rejects at Ajax, he is not at Ajax anymore. And this was a problem I had when, ten, you know, when I, we were doing pieces about Ten Hag coming in and you're weighing up the pros and the cons. He's never had a proper, like a really big budget. He never had, I think the most he ever spent on the player at Ajax was on Sebastian Haller, which was something like 20 million pounds. And he's still in this strange mindset of picking players for an Ajax team, it feels like. Mm. I, now, if Arnautovic rocked up at Ajax, you wouldn't have batted an eyelid over that because that's what Ajax do. They, albeit he's a lot younger, but they signed Steven Bergwijn this summer, another Premier League reject who didn't quite cut it in in two and a half years at Tottenham. But I just keep thinking Stecklenburg, Blind, Tadic, um, David Klassen, Sebastian Haller, Steven Bergwis, these players that Ten Hag took from the Premier League because they couldn't hack it there. And he got something, he got a tune out of them at Ajax, but it was Ajax, it was the Eredivisie. And this targeting of players, you know, affiliates of the of the Dutch league is just so deeply flawed and misguided. And the massive problem United have got is that where, where there's no guarantee that Ten Hag will be a success, and I'm not for one, one minute saying this time next year he won't be United manager, I think it's not impossible, despite yesterday, for them to have a worse season than last season, just because they've got a manager in who is authoritative, who is doing the coaching, who has a presence about him and who is a disciplinarian. But there's no guarantee that Ten Hag is going to succeed at United. And a United manager has a shelf life of about two and a quarter years. Whenever the successor comes in, if it is a two and a quarter year job or you know less than that, the squad they inherit, they will want to gut because they will not want I guarantee you the next guy who comes in will not want a bunch of players who've come in from Holland and who really aren't quite suitable for United. And the, I mean, it's just perverse that when United now they announce a signing in the statement, they attach a quote from John Murtagh rather than Ten Hag, as if the football director is masterminding these signings of players who've played in Holland. I mean, it's clear what's going on, but for a club to have a football director, a deputy football director, a head of recruitment operations, a technical chief scout, and supposedly they have a recruitment department, yet have no structure and to be going about signings or, or targeting signings the way they're going is shambolic. It's It would be shambolic at non-league level, never mind at Man mm. United. Rich, I was going to ask you that because we probably winding down towards the end of time. I was going to ask you to provide a ray of hope, but I'm not sure I can even bring myself to I do don't that. Think, yeah, well, I was going to just add on what someone said there. What, like, the people above Ten Hag, what are they doing? They're just letting him... Obviously, you've got to give a new manager some authority to pursue the players he wants, but what what are they doing other than allowing him to do that? Like someone said, someone's got to come in and say, hold on a minute, can't just keep on going for all these players that have played in Holland. Who's going to be next? Josie Altidore and Ricky Van Wolfswinkel. Like, what are United <laughs> doing? You've got to have some standards. And that's just the whole point, isn't it? It comes full circle to everything. There are just no standards. The standards have dropped so astronomically now that ev- anyone's a target for United. Literally anyone. I mean, it still stems from the Juan Bissaka 804 fullback shortlist. Like, if you're going for Rabio and Arnautovic, who isn't on United's radar anymore? Anyone that's worked with Ten Hag, apparently. But I think that the, the main problem, I would sum it up, is that United are doing it the wrong way around. 
the recruitment team should come up with a list of targets. Yeah. And Ten Hag yes. should should yeah, pick the one doing? he wants from but that's that. the point, isn't it? It's what the other are they way doing? around. Yeah. Yeah, what are they that, doing? That, that, that's what I, I, I said it to a colleague last night. Why at the end of the season where it was pretty clear from about March that they wouldn't finish in the Champions League and it was pretty clear late March, early April that Ten Hag was going to be a manager. Why did the recruitment department, if they ex- actually exist, not just draft up uh, a four or five man list of midfielders of forwards who are the right age, right profile, played at a good level. They've got a good, you know, high enough ceiling. Um, they're affordable. They're, they're not necessarily elite, but they are players that you could sign in a transfer mm. window. Why did they not have them lined up? And why did United not just go out there and sign them and just get Ten Hag's okay? And if he didn't say okay, there'd have to be some, you know, some some internal negotiating, if you like. I you know, I think we've probably said it before, Klopp was not sold on Salah. Michael Edwards was the one who was pushing for Salah. And look how that ended up. United do not have a figure at the club who is prepared to tell the manager, you know, when, when something is, when their thinking is, is a bit misguided or muddled. But they should have been executing those priority deals in May or June. I, I don't see any excuse for it. I mean, we, we've provided all the context and... Um, background and you know we've we've had guidance on certain things but ultimately you look at other clubs the way they operate I mean Roma hadn't won a trophy in about 14 years and they are attract I know they've got you know they're, they're a club in a brilliant city and they've got a manager who still has cachet and they are easily um, attracting better players than United are Vinaldum and Dybala players that in the start of the summer would have turned our noses up and said oh, United should be looking uh, for, for better options than them. Now, you, I think United fans would snap their hand off to have either. It's it's just ha- how it spiralled to this extent. We shouldn't be surprised, but here we are still you know, pretty aghast at the situation United are in. Well, Nardin's played more than 200 games in the Eredivisie, so you would have thought you'd there, there we go, yeah. United. Yeah. Uh, there we go. We'll, we'll wrap up there. I mean, there's, there's lots to come this season. I'm sure we'll have many of these debates. Um before losses, after losses, and maybe before and after some victories as well. Who knows? Um, we'll, we'll see what happens throughout the rest of the season. Um, so it just leaves me to say thank you very much, Samuel and Rich, um, for coming on the podcast today. Thank you, Dom. Thank you very much. And we'll be back with another one of these Manchester is Red podcasts for you very, very soon. Please leave us a like and a subscribe. And yeah, we'll be back again.